Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. In this episode, we set sail on a grand nautical adventure that sparked extensive exploration of lands previously unknown to Europeans. Join me as we examine the great age of discovery. European exploration outside the Mediterranean Sea started in the early 1400s and followed many currents that eventually led, before the century's end, across the Atlantic Ocean to North American shores. The age of exploration led to the rise of global trade and colonial empires, instigating contact between the Old World continents of Europe, Asia, and Africa with North America. The age of exploration allowed the mapping of the planet, resulting in a new world view and distant civilizations coming into contact. The era also saw the military conquest and economic dominance of foreign lands, as well as the spread of European civilization and its advanced technology. The silk and spice trade, involving incense, herbs, drugs, and opium, made Mediterranean states phenomenally rich. Spices, imported from Asia and Africa, were among the most expensive and demanded products of the Middle Ages, as they were used in medieval medicine, religious rituals, cosmetics, perfumery, as well as food additives and preservatives. The Portuguese were the first European nation to systematically encourage maritime commerce by exploring foreign shores under the sponsorship of Prince Henry the Navigator, who encouraged the development of a new, much lighter ship, the Caravel, which would sail farther and faster, and above all, was highly maneuverable and could sail into the wind. To ensure their monopoly on trade, Europeans, beginning with the Portuguese, attempted to install a Mediterranean system of trade which used military might and intimidation to divert commerce through ports they controlled. Long-standing nautical myths warned of oceanic monsters or sailing off the edge of the world, but Prince Henry's navigation challenged such beliefs by probing southeastward along the African coast to see whether it was possible to reach the lucrative markets of the Indies by sea. A crucial breakthrough occurred in 1488, when Portugal rounded the southern tip of Africa, then sailed east, establishing that the Indian Ocean was accessible from the Atlantic, proving false the view that had existed since antiquity that the Indian Ocean was landlocked. Portuguese conquistadors Bartolomeu Dias and Vasco da Gama set sail on grand sea adventures that sparked extensive exploration of lands previously unknown to Europeans at a time prior to Christopher Columbus's historic trans-oceanic voyage in 1492. Conquistadors led the European search for the Spice Islands during the Age of Exploration, an unrelenting pursuit for the riches of the Orient, sailing into uncharted waters, conquering territory, opening trade routes, and bringing colonialism to much of the world, including the North American continent. Charles Kimball, of the History of Southeast Asia podcast, has graciously agreed to share his views on the daring feats of these celebrated adventurers on their quest for the Spice Islands during the remarkable Age of Conquistadors. Greetings, dear listeners. In the late 15th and early 16th centuries, Europeans couldn't get enough of spices, and Portugal and Spain were in a race to get to the source of those spices, a part of Indonesia that we now call the Moluccas, but were called the Spice Islands in those days. For a few years, it looked like Spain had won, because in 1492, 
Columbus sailed the ocean blue. On the west side of the Atlantic, Christopher Columbus found some islands that he thought just had to be the East Indies. The islands ancient and medieval maps showed on the east side of India. They were the islands of the Caribbean, which we now call the West Indies, so that nobody else will confuse them with the real East Indies. Then when Columbus reached Cuba, he thought it was Japan, and wondered why he did not see scholars wearing silk robes and samurai castles, like the ones Marco Polo had written about. It took Amerigo Vespucci, another Italian sailor hired by Spain, to straighten out the matter. Vespucci correctly guessed that Columbus had not visited any places Europeans had heard about previously. Instead, he had discovered a new world. Then in 1513, Vasco Núñez de Balboa hiked across Panama and discovered the Pacific Ocean on the other side. That explained everything. If you sailed west from Europe, you had to get past America and cross two oceans, not one, to reach Asia. Portugal was the first European nation to send ships to the Far East in the Age of Exploration, and the first Europeans who came to Southeast Asia in force. Previously, the only Europeans that made it here were individual travelers like Marco Polo, and maybe a merchant or two. Between 1500 and 1800, only a few Europeans were seen in Southeast Asia because of the logistics of sea travel. The trip from Europe was so long that many ships and men did not make it, and those that did were in bad shape by the end of their voyages. Once they arrived, the ships usually needed repairs, and those aboard needed time to recuperate before they could do whatever they came here for. Also, the Europeans who came this early fell into two groups. Some were looking to get rich by acquiring and selling Asian trade goods, especially Indonesian spices while the others were missionaries looking to convert as many natives as possible to Christianity. Most Europeans did not want to move here because the climate was too hot and unhealthy for them. So unlike what happened in the Americas, you will not see European settlers form large communities in Southeast Asia. For a long time, European soldiers were few in number too, and only in the Philippines did they manage to conquer a large area before 1800. Still, in established kingdoms like Siam and Vietnam, a handful of Europeans, and sometimes just one, were able to exert a remarkable amount of influence. In the Americas and in the South Pacific, the white man was a plague carrier. A cabin boy named Juan Nepomucin was sick with smallpox when he went to Mexico in 1520 and has been credited with killing more Native Americans than the conquistadors did. Fortunately, Southeast Asians already had some immunity to the diseases that came with the white man, so they didn't drop like flies after the white man arrived. The Age of Exploration began in 1418, when Prince Henry the Navigator, the third son of the King of Portugal, started sending out ships to explore the Atlantic Ocean and the coast of Africa. At first, the only goal was to get gold, ivory, and other valuable African products directly from their sources, without dealing with Muslim middlemen. As time went on, two other important objectives were added. The Portuguese would try to convert those peoples they met who weren't Christians already, and when it looked like they might be able to sail around Africa, they decided they would try to get Asian goods from their sources too. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. 
Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Though these were supposed to be voyages of exploration, for 16 years, Prince Henry's captains refused to go any farther than Morocco because they were too afraid of the unknown. It wasn't because they thought the earth was flat. By the end of the Middle Ages, many people believed the earth was round. Still, they had plenty of other fears to hinder them. For a start, they feared that the winds of the tropics, which tend to blow toward the equator, would keep any ships entering the tropics from returning to Europe. Then they feared that around the equator, the heat would burn their ships, or boil the sea, or that they would find a land that was home to monsters instead of men. Finally, some believed that Africa was joined to another continent at the bottom of the world, a land mass they called Terra Australis Incognita, the unknown southern land. If this was true, it would not be possible to sail around Africa. In 1434, Prince Henry persuaded a captain to go past one point on the Moroccan coast, Cape Bojador. Once a ship did it, this proved that it was possible to sail into the tropics and come back. And once that fear was overcome, each expedition traveled a little bit farther than those before it. By 1445, they had reached Cape Verde, Africa's westernmost point. In 1460, the year of Prince Henry's death, they reached Sierra Leone. The expedition of 1473 crossed the equator without burning up, thereby clearing another psychological hurdle. Finally, in 1488, 70 years after the expedition started, Bartholomew Diaz passed Africa's southernmost point, the Cape of Good Hope, and entered the Indian Ocean. Nine years later, Vasco da Gama reached the trade ports of East Africa, and from there found his way to India. Da Gama brought back a rich cargo. However, the spices in the cargo did not come from India, but from a place farther east, and the people who provided da Gama with those spices kept their source a secret. The fleets of Islam had dominated the Indian Ocean for centuries, and their sailors were not happy to learn that Christian Europeans were now in those waters too. In the past, a single European riding on a local ship had not been seen as a threat, but European ships full of Europeans were another matter. Da Gama expected trouble when he got there, so his ships were some of the first European vessels to carry cannon. This gave him a great advantage, because Portuguese ships had been built strong enough to withstand the stormy seas of the Atlantic. By contrast, their opponents, like the Mamelukes and the Ottoman Turks, had ships designed to sail and do battle on the relatively calm waters of the Indian Ocean or the Mediterranean Sea, so they were thin-skinned or propelled galleys. They could not carry cannon, because the recoil of a cannon on one of these vessels would have shaken it apart. On his second expedition to India in 1502, da Gama commanded a fleet of 20 ships and showed what his guns could do by destroying an enemy fleet off the Malabar coast. 
bombarding them at a range the native artillery could not match. Next, the Crown of Portugal appointed Francisco de Almeida as the governor and viceroy of Portuguese India. However, the Portuguese Empire would not be a real empire, in the sense that the Roman Empire had been one. It could not control large territories, and it could not support a vast army. The best Portugal could do was set up a trade network that controlled the coasts. If they tried to conquer the interior of Asia, the huge native population would quickly overwhelm them, but otherwise ruled against commitments ashore. Catholic missionaries like St. Francis Xavier tried to stop the spread of Islam by converting non-Muslim Indonesians to Christianity. But time was not on their side. Usually they came to an island only to find that the natives had converted to Islam a few years earlier. And once a community converts to Islam, it is very difficult to unconvert it because the Quran teaches that the penalty for renouncing Islam is death. You can see this in the history of Spain where it took more than 700 years for Christians to take back Spain after the Moors conquered it. And then some Moors continued to wander around in Spain for more than a century after the official end of the Reconquista in 1492. They did not disappear until the king of Spain expelled them by force. Therefore, the missionaries in Indonesia were only successful on islands where Islam had not yet established itself. If Islam got to a community first, Catholic missions had no hope of success. Portugal won the race by sending an expedition from Malacca to explore eastern Indonesia in 1512. Upon arrival at the Spice Islands, the Portuguese took on a valuable cargo of nutmeg, cloves, and other spices, and returned to Malacca with physical proof that they had reached the goal. Eventually, the Portuguese paid toll to the Sultan of Brunei so that they could sail around North Borneo and through the Sulu Sea to reach the Spice Islands without being molested. It had taken nearly a hundred years for Portugal to find out where the Spice Islands were. Spain tried for a few years to take the Spice Islands, which had already been claimed by Portugal. If this squabble had taken place in Europe, you can be sure that Spain would have won because it had more people and resources than Portugal. But Southeast Asia is so far away that logistics decided the matter. More than half the ships and men sent by Spain didn't arrive. Finally, with the 1529 Treaty of Saragossa, Spain in effect sold its claim to Portugal for 350,000 gold ducats. Portugal's early victories had given it more empire than it could handle. Portugal itself had a population of just one and a half million, and that was never enough manpower to manage everything that Portugal claimed in Africa, Asia, and Brazil. Often other Europeans, like Italians, English, and Dutch, had to be hired to fill all the crew positions on Portuguese ships. In fact, the African slave trade, the worst feature of the Portuguese empire, was launched in 1448 to solve the problem of a worker shortage in Portugal. It wasn't until after the discovery of America that the slave trade was extended to the west side of the Atlantic. The Portuguese had proved themselves excellent sailors. They went forth to explore the world beyond Europe, risking storms, shipwreck, pirates, hostile natives, and disease. You could expect one-third of a ship's crew to die from scurvy alone. Often the only things that kept them going were faith in God and the hope that they would get rich when they reached their destination. But while they had set up for themselves an economic empire, they weren't very good businessmen, so they could not make much of a profit from what they got. 
The money made on Far Eastern ventures was spent immediately, either on policing the Indian Ocean or to make payments on the king's debts. In the long run, the people who made the biggest profit from the Portuguese Empire were the Italian, German, and Dutch bankers that the king owed money to. When other Europeans went out to sea, Portugal could not compete, and soon its empire sank into obscurity. And while Portugal managed to hold on to some of its colonies until the second half of the 20th century, those colonies lasted because for most of that time, the rest of the world did not even notice them. Portugal suffered a blow from which it never recovered in 1578, when King Sebastian was killed in an invasion of Morocco and left no heir. Now King Philip of Spain claimed he was the closest living relative to the Portuguese king, so the Portuguese crown went to him. For 60 years, from 1580 to 1640, the king of Spain was also the king of Portugal, but during this time, the Spaniards neglected the Portuguese half of their enormous empire. Ultimately, the Iberian Union was harmful to the Portuguese colonies, because Spain's enemies, England and the Netherlands, now became Portugal's enemies as well. English and Dutch privateers would soon find the Portuguese colonies to be vulnerable targets. Next time, we begin our in-depth examination of the Spanish conquistadors who left their mark on North America. We'll start with the adventures of Ponce de Leon and his unrelenting search for the fabled Fountain of Youth. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying visuals, including maps, charts, timelines, photos, illustrations, and diagrams. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.